it fundamentally involves empathy active listening and a coaching style where you ask questions in a way where you get your team members to clarify their thinking and come up with the solutions themselves people are able to actually then follow through what they need to do jobs in adtech if you're looking for a new role in the industry there's only one place to go free job listing for all recruiters and talent acquisition managers until september go to jobsinadtech.com today jobs in adtech hello and welcome to the shiny new object podcast my name is tom ollerton i'm the founder of automated creative the creative effectiveness ad tech platform that this is a weekly show where i have the pleasure and privilege of interviewing one of our industry's leaders and this week is no different i'm on a call with saura patel who is group head of marketing at ihh healthcare so saura for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do could you give us a bit of background hi tom a pleasure to be here sure uh so I'm the group head of marketing at IHH Healthcare, which is actually one of the world's largest private healthcare networks. It's listed on the Singapore and Malaysia Stock Exchange. It comprises 80 plus hospitals in 10 countries, including our key home markets of uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Turkey, India, and iconic brands like uh, Mount Elizabeth, Glen Eagles, uh, Pantai, Fortis, and Achibadem. Uh, so I'm responsible for sales and marketing strategies, digital engagement, and key uh, related digital transformation activities. Uh, I've been with IHH for around uh, four years. And prior to that, I spent 19 years, um, I know it's a long time, at Johnson & Johnson Consumer, doing various roles in sales and marketing across India, the USA and Singapore. So in that time, you must have worked with a lot of juniors, a lot of graduates. I'm curious to know, what advice would you give a smart, driven student who's trying to make it in the industry and follow your footsteps? Okay, uh, I find it to be a, a, an amusing question because I fundamentally, out of my 23 years, uh, I spent 19 years in one company, which a lot of people don't really do today. But uh, jokes aside, uh, one of the reasons I stayed in the same company for 19 years is because I got to do so many different things in terms of the function, which is marketing, sales, product development, supply chain, markets, India, USA, Southeast Asia, and categories, you know, baby care, personal care, skin care. So I have actually two pieces of advice uh, to somebody who's new and wants to excel in the marketing industry. So for someone starting out, my first piece of advice would be that while you do want to obviously establish yourself in the marketing function, do not over-specialize within that. I mean, a career is finally a marathon, not a sprint. So make sure you expand your experiences and change maybe one or two vectors. So say, for example, if you want to stay in the same product category, which you love, then maybe change your area of work within marketing for that. So you might be doing social, but maybe change over to search in the same product category. Conversely, if you've spent, if you love your, uh, your area within marketing, then change your product category or industry. Or geography. In my case, I stayed within India the first nine years, but changed product categories often. I also did sales as an additional function, and I got to change geography after that. Uh, the second point or the second piece of advice I would strongly give is that make sure you do sales and you basically get experience working in a function where the transaction happens in your company or your industry and where your company makes money. In my case, in consumer goods in India, right, 
I mean, marketing and brand management and comms is one thing, but where a brand really lives or dies is in the retail environment, which in India consists of, you know, thousands of traditional mom and pop stores, which are serviced through business partners like distributors. And this could lo look a little bit different by industry, right? So say, for example, if you are in B2B marketing, then you impact business, but you're still a little bit far removed from account management where the money actually gets made, which is sales. And again, you don't need to become a specialist here and spend years together doing sales, but a stint in sales is important, I would say. It could be field sales, it could be e-commerce, it could be account management. Uh, I actually had the privilege of working in consumer goods in India, where you're never seen just as a marketing person or a salesperson, you're seen as both. The other reason to do sales is that it gives you the experience pretty early in your career to actually manage people or work around people, which are again, you know, life skills and career skills, which will take you far. So those are the two pieces of advice I'd have. Excellent advice. Thank you for sharing that. So moving now across into marketing advice, do you have a tip? A marketing tip that you share most often with your team or people that ask? Yeah, sure. Um, so I uh, I love to talk about obsessing about the consumer. I know this sounds like a cliche in marketing, but I do think that this is not easy to do. It's easy to say and easy to pay lip service to. So in my context at my organization, uh, there are many more traditional organizations that do have experiential knowledge about consumers and patients. But the challenge is that it lies in silos. And it's not democratized, given that no single function truly owns consumer or patient understanding, right? So, for example, in the case of a hospital, patient experience, there's parts of the journey owned by marketing, especially the early stage. Uh, then, you know, the, the customer service or the front office team, and then finally the clinicians. So this is really where consumer or patient journey mapping can be very helpful. And marketing can and should champion this cause across functions. And this is about mapping out the journey, which consists of key stages, moments that matter, key decision points, stakeholders, jobs to be done, and also very importantly, feelings at each stage, not only functional, but also emotional. And um, honestly, this becomes a great foundation for cross-functional collaboration and bringing everyone together. And yeah, sure, there, there would likely be formal research, uh, uh, you know, somewhere, uh, somewhere in the mix. But the very act of actually a cross-functional team coming together to put down their understanding of the patient or deciding what to do about it to improve it is very, very powerful. And it's not always easy, you know. Um, an exercise like this can lead to someone saying, oh, you know, we've already, we've always been aware of this. So what's the big deal? Uh, or, uh, you know, something like, uh, 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 we, we, we've been there, done that. But the way I typically try and counter it is, you know, that, okay, if we were aware of this, then why haven't we really done anything about it? The other piece that comes up is that many people tend to use their own experience as a patient or consumer and use it as gospel truth in terms of what we should do. But I think the key thing to keep in mind is that one's experience, it's important, but finally, it's a sample of one. So you should definitely consider your own experience as a consumer or patient. But don't treat it as the be-all and end-all. Use it as a starting point or a hypothesis, which should be validated. Um, if I were to just quickly share an example on this, uh, we actually had this for one of our core businesses, which is oncology, where we brought key functions together uh, to you know, put together the patient journey with key moments that matter and uh, decision points. And it led to a lot of value. We got actually enough deep understanding to, number one, write better briefs to our marketing agencies, 
and understanding of the early stage journey made us realize that we weren't thinking enough about diagnosis and prevention and we ended up introducing more cancer more specific cancer screening tests we also realized that consumers find the entire process of interacting with the provider if they have cancer very very complex and confusing and they are also not in a great emotional state so then we you know we actually had some great ideas around how can we address this through maybe our front facing staff playing a better or a clearer role in terms of you know personalized care for patients so and i want to get on to your shiny new object which is a first for this podcast so i'm really pleased you brought this up and your shiny new object is servant leadership so this is a term i came across relatively recently i'm a bit embarrassed to say but i'm really keen to know what servant leadership is to you and why you've chosen it as your shiny new object yeah i, I i've always felt that this is you know uh, one of the very understated pieces when it comes to working with teams or leading teams and i know there's a lot of definitions out there but the way i see it is that it's fundamentally a philosophy or a mindset where you ask yourself and your team how can i help you succeed you know what barriers can i remove to make sure you're successful and these could be barriers uh, which could be political could be skill based could be resource based it fundamentally involves empathy active listening and a coaching style where you ask questions in a way where you get your team members to clarify their thinking and come up with the solutions themselves and uh, i've 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 strongly experienced that this drives clarity of thought but it also drives a lot of confidence and commitment uh in the team uh you know uh and and uh people are able to actually then follow through what they need to do this episode of the shiny new object podcast is brought to you in partnership with manifest whether it's live in london or streamed online to the global marketing community you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content startup innovation pitches and unconventional entertainment from madfest events you'll find me causing trouble on stage recording live versions of this podcast and sharing a beer with the nicest most influential people in marketing check it out at www.madfestlondon.com so how do you make sure that you are a servant leader you know you talk about coaching active listening removing barriers do you have a, a system to make sure that you are a servant leader or do you do it by feel um okay so the thing is uh it's something i kind of you know narrowed down on after working with a lot of different teams especially you know uh, younger people what we call gen z and i think uh, it, it was lot really about my current circumstances with my business and my team that led me to servant leadership so i think uh, uh, a couple of key reasons why uh, this is important to me and my team is one is of course at the point i made earlier about you know uh, when you work with young team members and workers especially gen z they want something more meaningful than just transactional work relationships uh, they want to feel a sense of community a higher purpose and a work environment more conducive to their specific development needs i've seen this work better for you know the engagement retention and motivation of my team i see this at work and i, I as a, a father of an 18 year old uh, i've also seen it at home um the other reason why i kind of came came down to this is that eventually managing change in a traditional industry is very very hard and i think it requires a particular type of support system 
So, for example, one of my key responsibilities is, is to run a COE for digital marketing platforms and engagement. It's basically around using digital platforms in new ways to drive better patient retention, engagement, and experiences to complement our offline experiences. And most of my team are specialists in specific areas of digital, and they've done this in varied industries like e-commerce, consumer goods, hospitality. And now they are tasked with driving change, new ways of doing things in healthcare services, which is very hard. It requires a lot of alignment with leadership and the teams in the markets. And we are trying to speak to leadership and market teams about things they have not done before in a language which they don't really understand. I mean, I'm sure you'll agree, but there is so much jargon and complexity in marketing today that makes the task of selling these in traditional industries much harder. So using coaching, you know, which I think is a key component of servant leadership, um, you know, this really helped to get my team to a place where we're really able to distill what we're trying to do into impacting the job to be done or the problem the patient is trying to solve, the patient experience and the impact on results rather than focus on how cool the technology is. So I think this approach of, you know, don't obsess with the technology, but make sure you're able to really drive home the impact you're making to the uh, to, to the patient or the consumer is I think one of the key uh, one of the key impacts I was able to drive with the team, uh, you know, using coaching, uh, which is a key element of servant leadership to take it forward. So do you find yourself coaching people how to be servant leaders from within your organization, your reports? I would say I do. I mean, um, at the end of the day, one of the principles I've always, uh, you know, uh, thought about and asked my team to think about is that, uh, you know, you should always work with your team the way uh, you would like your boss to work with you. So uh, so I, I, I do see my team members who also have teams under them, you know, starting to use this. But uh, I've also realized, and this is something my teams have told me, and, you know, this is something we debate as well, that uh, while it's, it, it's something which my team loves to take forward as well, I've also realized over a period of time that there are certain caveats in terms of how this works. And, and I've realized that, you know, uh, one needs to actually be flexible also at the same time about uh, your own leadership styles. And the wisdom is really on when to use it and when not to. Uh, for example, it may not always be the right approach when it comes to crisis situations, you know, uh, when a more top-down approach is better and it's required. And there are also some prerequisites to making it work without which me or even my teams with, with with their direct reports would not be able to make this work. So one is you need to have broad alignment on organizational values. You know, uh, what 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 values are really, really important to us as a team. And in, in our company, a lot of it is around building trust, collaboration, teamwork. And then, of course, there needs to be alignment on the core goals. And this is kind of more operational in terms of the goals we have as a marketing team and even the individual goals, you know, somebody might have. Uh, so I think these prerequisites are really important because I've also realized that not all companies have an equally strong mechanism on, you know, planning uh, KPIs, performance, etc. The other piece, which, again, a lot of my, uh, my uh, colleagues have kind of told me, and which is probably a bit of a misnomer when it comes to servant leadership, is that, uh, you know, finally, it's about being alive to your team's needs, but not necessarily their feelings. And I think there is a difference here. It basically means that, you know, for example, corrective feedback still needs to be given. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that hard messages are not delivered. 
uh, that needs to be done if needed in a respectful manner but it's not you know about not having the tough conversations in fact i would say if if this is adapted the right way the tough conversations become easier because your team realizes that you're coming from a place of serving them or helping them do better versus necessarily coming from you know a, a place where you're reprimanding them so i'm curious to know how servant leadership marries up or not with the traditional view of a CEO or CMO or C-level person that I grew up with, right? There weren't that many examples of servant leadership that I could see. It was quite the opposite. It was a dictatorial leadership where you do this because I'm the boss and I'm telling you to do it. So, I mean, we could list off a whole group of people who who fill out that persona, the sort, I guess the sort of Steve Jobs type character, whereas servant leadership seems to be a, a a much more gentle approach. So do you think that it this is going to be the future of leadership, apart from in those times of crisis or when hard conversations need to be had? Or is, is this just an, another type of leader to sit alongside the, the more dictator-style approach? So here's the way I see it. Uh, I think there will always be a lot of different approaches to leadership. But I do think that servant leadership uh, will be used more and more. And the reason I feel so is that after having worked for, you know, more than 20 years, I think if I take marketing, right, the pace of change in marketing, especially given technology, has been tremendously quick the last, you know, 10 10 years or so. I mean, when I started off, you know, being, say, a brand manager, a lot of what I used to do was print advertising and TV advertising. And, you know, uh, you worked with agencies to kind of build these 30-second TVCs. And obviously now brand managers of today, yeah, they probably still may work on that. But a lot of what they're doing is linked to, you know, social and search and CRM. And there's basically a lot of technology which has come in and uh, the pace of change is only going to get faster. And I think after having worked for 20 plus years and being more senior, it is actually very, very difficult to keep pace with all the changes that are happening in technology. And I think where leaders can complement the team members is your team members obviously know the technology, but many times where they struggle is being able to call out what the outcome is, what the result is, and you know the core thinking on strategy, objectives, what we're trying to do, what difference we're trying to make, I think that becomes important. So I see that relationship being even more symbiotic, where honestly, where I can add value to my uh, team member is more on the larger big picture strategic thinking pieces. The technology on the details is something I would never really be able to challenge beyond a point because, you know, I have not been able to roll up my sleeves and really get into it. So I think with that in mind and the pace of change coming, I I, I do believe this is going to be a more and more important, a, a more often used approach. Because it's very difficult to, as a boss, be an expert on everything. I mean, they say that, you know, you should surround yourself with smarter people and people who have deeper knowledge than you. I think that's not a cliche. That's really important. And then the way you kind of hone a team like that is through using more servant leadership, in my view. So unfortunately, we are at the end of the podcast. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you about servant leadership or any of the other things we've covered today, where is a good place to do that? And what makes a great out? reach message to you no i think linkedin would be perfect uh i'm pretty active on linkedin and uh yes i absolutely would love to re uh, to engage with folks who want to connect with me on servant leadership 
uh, on digital transformation and even you know some of the softer aspects of change management, which I think are really important. So yes, LinkedIn would be best. Fantastic, Saurabh. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tom. Uh, uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything. I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.